0: Fifteen years ago, in Louisville, Kentucky, one man began a blog that became a book that became a worldwide ministry. You have
1: missed your calling, by the way.
0: The story (laughs) of practical shepherding. Fifteen years in.
1: (laughs) That ranks up there with... When you walked in one day playing Hail to the Chief as the President of Practical Shepherding. Absolutely. To a board meeting. That was, uh, that was I, I mean, we don't do intro music or anything, but now I think you've set a new precedent for there us. There we so. go. People are going to wonder, what is this? So welcome to Trench Talk, uh, Practical Shepherding. I don't even kind of remember how I start this thing after that. we started a new trend. You know, um, this is Brian Groff with Jim Sebastio. And special episode today. And that is that we are celebrating uh, 15 years of ministry at Practical Shepherding. That is uh, hard to believe, and so we wanted to uh, we wanted to give just one episode to reflecting a bit, Jim, because you have been a part of this from the beginning. So yeah. not many people can say that, and for some reason I haven't run you off yet. Uh, so <laughs> you have, have uh, you hung in there and and been the president of Practical Shepherding since the. Kind of the official inception of, of the mm. ministry, but as we'll talk about, you know, this kind of started uh, out of just some just some some small meager efforts to try to just train some guys in my church around that. So um, so we're going to talk about some of these kinds of things. Practical Shepherding started in in two thousand and eight, uh, and and then we a few years later formed a, a board an official nonprofit about four but years in, and and then we just kept running. And you became the president. Uh, of the ministry at that point and have remained so and yeah. uh but but we have been able to do a, a lot of fun things from writing together to obviously this this podcast uh, most probably know you from this podcast Jim wouldn't you say
0: uh yes I would be correct
1: so where do you where do we start where do we start as we're kind of just trying to reflect on uh these 15 years and all that that God's done all that's happening
0: Brian, I, I, I want to just start a little bit just talking about how, as an outsider, how I first saw this ministry take shape. Okay. Uh, as we sit here in our uh, lovely little facility on Waterson Trail in Louisville, Kentucky, I, I don't know why it never struck me, Brian. That I know. Just right out the window. You're right, yeah. Across the street is a Mexican restaurant, El Nopal. That's free. That's, that's free promotion, by the way. We didn't get. We didn't get paid. We for that. should at least get some chips for it. <laughs> is where we first met. Yeah, uh, that it was right there. That's the actual location. And we were talking earlier that we we're going to put like a little plaque, like they have at that pub in England where Tolkien and uh, C.S. Lewis. I, I think used it's to time. Get, I think it's time. right, time I think right do that. there in yeah, this on. spot, Jim Sebastian <laughs> and Brian Crawford first uh, had tacos together. It, and your thought when you left that
1: meeting was. Because I was in the like middle, of three, four years into my ministry, and getting firing attempts and all this kind of stuff, your your initial thought was, was,
0: "This is this guy's not going (laughs) to last." That's that's what I thought. I thought, no, I really did, because there was so much hardship and so much struggle going on. And so we'd met because a deacon in our church had a daughter uh, who took gymnastics with one of your daughters, with my daughter. and And you had, I think, Max. Actually, you were even earlier on. I, I'd have to look it up to remember what the exact uh, date was that we first met uh, over there uh, but it was 20 years ago yeah, or, or about more, 20 years ago yeah, yeah. that we that we first met uh, and at that time I, I was an older I still am obviously an older guy and had had a bit more experience and so the deacon thought oh maybe I could be a help and encouragement I didn't realize, obviously, all that would happen and the friendship that would develop, but we would wind up just getting together every couple of months. Uh, I'd give you a call, or you'd call me and say, let's grab some coffee, or let's meet somewhere and just get updates. And so I was aware of the firing attempts. I was aware of your desire, determination to introduce change into the church, uh, and then all of a sudden, one day, I think I, I was checking out Chalice or something like that, as I do pretty much every day. And I saw a link with my friend Brian Croft, and that you had started the blog uh, at that time. And I realized, and we hadn't been together I, maybe a few months, uh, that we hadn't seen each other. And I realized that the Lord is helping and stabilizing and growing your ministry and that you were beginning to have a voice and so I think I contacted you shortly after that and just told you I'd seen that and maybe had seen the new book on visit the sick and was just was obviously was encouraged to see that you were uh, persevering and that the Lord was using some of your hardship to give you a platform a modest platform but a platform nonetheless to speak into some other men that were Wanting to go into ministry, or and you were men were being drawn to you, men in ministry were being drawn to you for counsel and also for encouragement because I think they knew you'd been battle tested. They knew that you were somebody that had uh, persevered and stuck with it, and I think that's was, you know, the, the, that phase of your life and ministry began yep. uh, out of that matrix of difficulty, a, a difficulty that you would have never wanted, never desired, never encouraged anybody to go into in a sense, and yet it was as the Lord often does. I think you, you said earlier the Lord doesn't waste any ministerial scars. Uh, and, and those things became the basis uh, of what would eventually become practical shepherding
1: yeah that's a good that's a good take on that i by the way reflecting on the you know the restaurant the place we met over here you know one of the things that was really meaningful for me is when i you preached the last sun my last sunday at auburndale yeah and uh and it was a very meaningful moment for me for you to tell that story to the church and it's like he's not gonna make it and 17 yeah. years in you were able to yeah. stand up and in front of me in our church on my last Sunday. And say, see? And it's like, you, you made it. Yeah, you, you just see.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: No, you, you made it. And, and yeah, that, was, that yeah. was very, no, it was very encouraging. That was very meaningful to me. So, yeah, I, I think that's what, um, that's a good portrayal of just kind of how this all started. It really started with a book and a blog. Yeah. And neither one that I wanted to write. So, uh, I'm just training a few guys, a handful of guys, really, not yeah. many, that showed up at the church. At the, Who were at the seminary wanting to be trained for help at the church and knew they needed to be trained in the local church. So I just took it upon myself, one for, you know, I think calling reasons and one for selfish reasons to take these guys in because in those early years, like I needed friends. I needed somebody yeah. to know was with me in our church. So I selfishly brought these guys along with me uh, just for care and help. And then the other reason I did, though, is, is I, I felt a an enormous call to want to uh, train up young guys for the ministry. I had not been mentored well in the churches I served in up to that point, point. and God used that as a way. When I went to pastor this church, I, I just you know told the Lord, if if you send anybody my way, I I will do all I can to train them so they don't have to learn the hard lessons the way I had to learn them.
0: And Brian, a couple of things I want to bring out from this, because I think this is something that may be encouraging to other guys. You don't have to wait till you've been a pastor for 15, 20, 30 years before you can start investing in somebody. That's exactly right. Uh, an older man is simply that or an older man. A, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean an old man, but an older man, somebody that has done, done some things. And, you may be more modest in some of your proposals, Brian you may be stronger in some of the things you say now fifteen years down the road than you did when you were in your early thirties right and so i you know sure uh, even i look back i was, I was in my early forties then you know? yeah right um you, you you look back on that and, and you, so that's one thing the other thing I wanted just to just ask you about this. Uh, for those of you who don't know, so we're here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we're in the shadow to some degree of Southern Seminary. There are churches in Louisville that we would call seminary churches where they have dozens and, in some cases, dozens of students that come to their church. We're not seminary churches. We do have students that come. For your church, the, the church at that time, so Brian, we're going back 15 years or a little bit more, 16 years Church was relatively small. What was your membership at that time?
1: Yeah, so when when we when this all started, I was I was in the thick of it, three four years in, fifty people maybe in right. our church. Yeah.
0: So interns, guys who want to learn about ministry, and this is I think this is important too. They weren't coming to a guy. Hey, Brian, you you know you started with ten, and you got five hundred people. Tell us how you did it. Right. Uh, you were pastoring a, a, I think. A, I think I read again today. Ninety ninety two percent of churches have under two hundred members, something like that. Yep. Or under two hundred fifty members. That was us. Yeah, so we're in the vast majority. Uh, mm-hmm. And you you were that's not a for for some guys that's a tiny little uh, flock. For others, you know, who are listening to this, maybe that's something Like I can't wait till we get fifty members. But you didn't need to have. Uh, a like a, a glowing unbelievable story of transformation in church to feel like you had something to share you did you were not sharing out of the wealth and benefit of having people pour into you and you then you felt I need to pour into others like I feel like I I had great I've had great men in my life who've taught me great things and I feel like I want to be a good steward of that and tell other people hey this is what this guy told me and this guy told me and this guy told me uh, you were learning that a fre- a fresh. You're a relatively young man, relatively small church. Some guy might say, well, Brian, well, who did you think you were to do that? Yeah. Well, so what, what compelled you? Because it wasn't at that time even – you weren't in that healthy state yet that, mm-hmm. that you would say that it, that it grew to be. Uh, when was – how does this correspond even like with the last attempt to get you fired? Yes. Was some of this already going on? Yep. Simultaneously,
1: yeah. So the the uh, this handful of guys that came wanting to just help at the church, they saw what we were trying to do at the church, so they came to help and wanted to learn about ministry. And so I kind of, uh, well, this is a great place to learn about ch- what church is going to be like. Okay. And so I actually look back, Jim, on the that first group of guys who I still stay in touch with. Yeah. That first group of guys who were there in those early years, the education they got about church ministry was so much more. Then the guys ten years later who just heard the stories and they're like, like you're embellishing this. You know, like there's no way right. it was like the way it was. And I'm like <laughs> telling you. And so I would say that, yeah, but it was in the thick of it with and I had I just wisdom from the Lord. I wasn't old enough or wise enough to just know this on my own. And God just helped me see drag these guys with you. You need the support, but they need to learn. This is what right. they might walk into. And so there was enough knowledge there to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring these guys in and teach them how to do ministry in this context. Yeah. So I would take them to the. I would take one of the guys with me, knowing somebody was going to lay into me when I go to their home and try to talk to them about something. <laughs> I thought that's a great way for them to learn. So, but I just had a heart to want to love and mentor young. I mean, I it just it's just pastor's heart. And but but God really gave me a passion for it even at a young younger age, even when I was younger, and I had been in the ministry almost ten years by then. In some really hard dysfunctional I would learned a lot of hard and bad ways to do ministry which is kind of a good education you just don't yeah. think that's what's going to happen so I'd start pouring into these guys I it needs to be said like I, I never went into at any point going I'm going to start a ministry and call it practical. like right. the first five years of this was I, I fought against it like I'm I'm committed to training my guys in the church but then they're I'm dragging them to the hospitals and teaching them about hospital visitation and they're the ones saying hey there's nothing on written on this. Will you write some of this stuff down for us? I, I wasn't a writer. That's not a false humility. Like I was a terrible writer. I could right. barely write a sermon. I was still trying to learn how to how to write a, a sermon. So the, writing a book or writing a blog where you write something and post it for the world to see was terrifying to me. So mm. I actually fought against both of these things. But because of me investing in that handful of guys, the first book came out of that, which is a 115-page book on Visit the sick, and, and then that that thing blew up on the the internet. You mentioned Tim Chowle. He's like Tim, uh, he Tim I owe a, a great debt to because he really believed in what I was doing before I kind of knew what I was doing and saw the value in Of course, everybody knows the massive platform he has, and he just. Like you talk about you, you saw it on Tim Chow. You know, I mean, just how right. else?
0: How else would you have known about it? Well, at that point, I realized I needed to get in on this. I thought, you know, this is <laughs> we needed to be Big Eva. Mis- mission I, accomplished. I, 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 I'm going to manipulate. We should start this. a podcast. We should in 10 start years. a podcast. He'll let me be on it. So,
1: yeah, no. So, um, so t- Tim was a big part of that. But in those early years, I, I fought against my, my heart was to just simply train us. I knew they were getting theologically trained really well at seminary. Yeah. I knew that. But I also knew enough to know they weren't learning how to pastor people. You got to right. learn that in local church, right. and so to this day, that's still my conviction. I I, I encourage everybody I and mean, go to seminary, learn, get good theological education. However, you need to do that, but that does not prepare you to be a
0: pastor. Right. There's
1: other things you right. need to learn. About learn, being that a pastor. A church, learn that
0: in the church. So with your pastor, practical
1: right. shepherding really was an outflow of a handful of guys who I knew needed to learn these practical things that nobody's teaching them. That there are really no resources for, unless you go back and read puritans you know? right? And, and so that's so. When I started to realize, one, I have a passion for this. Two, okay, I kind of have a niche to be able to understand this practical area of, all right, what do you do in this situation, in that situation, in the hospital, or caring right. for widow, or funeral. So it became a, a niche, and I started to discover maybe some gifts that that uh, God had given me. One other thing to add is because I felt that I was still I was young. Like I don't recommend anybody to write their first book in their mid thirties however right. uh, I had lived in this world my dad was a family doc I did hospital visits with him as a kid yeah I was very comfortable in the hospital I had learned a lot and it's interesting that's the first book written 15 years ago and I, st- I a lot of people can't say this you write a book 15 years later you want to change stuff I stand by everything I wrote in there because it was the theological development was still pretty was already there but practically the same stuff I would affirm today. And I, I would that was a that was a unique gift from God mm. for me because I, I think we typically are gonna want to go back and change things. But because it was just such a, a practical nature book that launched all of this, it allowed me to to still be able to to stand by that. But my mentor Jackson Boyette, the guy who did invest in me, who was my father in the faith, the closest thing to had to spiritual father who died 10 years ago. Um Jackson was the one, I kept telling him like I shouldn't be doing this. I'm barely surviving at my church. Yeah. Just trying to help these guys, and Jackson was the one that kept encouraging me. Uh, and he was, you know, he was 55, 60 years old, 30 plus years of ministry. He was the one saying, "No, no, you you need to do this." How and did so, you meet?
0: How did you meet Jackson?
1: I met Jackson through a church a guy from the seminary who had come to our church, and it okay. was his
0: past home pastor okay in uh,
1: Austin Texas and, and so, he's now pastoring that is he still he, he, that guy's now pastoring, now the, pastoring the, church the church when Jackson died, Jackson but, died right? but but that I always okay. look back on that like Jackson uh, was was so meaningful to me a lot of you have, have heard but that's one of the things he did he kind of saw this and almost prophetically could see where this was going in a way I couldn't and uh needed well, people to encourage me in the early years to do okay it.
0: All right, so uh, question: I don't know the answer to uh, who came up with the name "practical shepherding."
1: So, as uh, the the visit the sick book came out, and this is you know this is fifteen years ago, so it's important when I tell this story that this is right when the internet was radically starting to change how books were published and distributed. Before the internet, if you think about it, you either had to have your book in a Christian bookstore or you sold it out of the trunk of your car, and that was about it. Right. The internet changed all of that, and right. so when Business It came out, none of us were prepared. I mean, I'm a nobody author and was publishing through a nobody publisher, like destined for success, you know. Right. And but what happened is Tim and uh, another guy named Justin Taylor, a lot of you will, will know from Crossway and Big Evan here, his his uh, Brian. his his blog. Those two guys plugged the book somehow. Got a hands on. I didn't send it to them. They they plugged it on, and it blew up on the internet, and that's how all this started. Yeah. And the Internet just ages what allowed that, and so when that happened, uh, w- two things got exposed. One, I seem to have I kind of developed a niche for this is something I really enjoy. Not a lot of people don't seem to yeah. like this write about this stuff, so yeah. but two, it was, a, it was there was a gaping hole in the resources. We discovered that. so the, the thing blowing up was that there's nothing pastors needed it, and there was nobody else who was writing it. So
0: book before blog. yeah or? so
1: that's what I was getting to the the book. Was written and had a lot more success than we thought, and um, and then I asked Tim, uh, just an early counselor for me, you know, said, "Hey, there's there's a bigger need than we thought." But like I asked several people, and everybody said, "Start a blog." This is right when blogs were getting right. really big. Well, I didn't even know what a blog was actually, so I have to admit that. And so I needed Tim to share with me what a blog actually was, and. Uh, how it was used and then when I found out it terrified me I was like wait a minute you want me to write something and then just post it like right. again I'm not a gifted writer I don't even know how to write in a I had to learn how to write as an adult
0: what was your first blog post you remember
1: it was on it was on hospital visitation okay. so but everybody I talked to we were basically saying okay how do we use the internet to have conversations with pastors about this stuff so they can chime in they can teach other people what they're learning about right. this practical stuff so we started the blog kind of two, 300 word post, which back then it was long posts. Like, no, we're doing like two, 300 words. Here's a couple of tips. And then we opened the comments up and said, if you're a pastor, share what you've learned about how share some tips from each side." And it became this interactive thing. And we called the blog Practical Shepherding. And I came up with that name uh, when the blog started. So it was like Blogspot, you know, like one of the cheap, free, you know, the free blog. Right, right, right. We called it Practical Shepherding. And it was hilarious because uh, you know, there was, was a slow, steady growth. When when Tim plugged blog blog posts, the traffic level was hilarious to just watch the difference in that. It just showed the influence back then. It still does have that influence, right. but even back then, so the blog, so the book, and then the blog was called Practical Shepherding. And that's where the name came.
0: And you just came up with that. I, saw, I I I've got a line in my head from the original Rocky movie. You know, when he <laughs> talks about Italian stallion. <laughs> I came up with that one day while eating dinner. You know, so that's what <laughs> I I'm don't thinking remember. about you. You know, if you're doing like, uh, I was eating spaghetti and it came to me. <laughs> I don't remember that part okay. of it, but All I do right. remember. I do remember. Did you run it past anybody? I like it, but did you run it past sure. anybody? Did anybody say, "Well, that's really confusing"? I, I
1: did, and it's funny because the the name was really uh, about tying it to the blog specifically, I and mean, we had. I had no had no thinking whatsoever Oh, this is going to turn into a ministry and that's going to be the, the name. Yeah. So, so it really, it was just, you know, on those, on those free blog. Pop, sure. Spot right, right, right. Post, no, right. You that's... just had a heading. What do you call it? What do you call yeah, this blog? Right. And so that's all the thought that was given into it. But <laughs> okay. then as the thing developed, you're like, yeah. no, it kind of describes what we're doing. No,
0: I, I agree. I, right. When I tell people about it, that's one of the things I, I bring out, just answer. I mean, I often will say something like, it's going to answer a lot of the questions you're not going to get in seminary. Yeah. And, and just the how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you think through this? Well, you know, I just wish I had somebody to talk to about this. I wish somebody, I wish some pastor had, would come along and tell me, you know, well, this is how I did it, and this is why I did it that way, yeah. and this was it really worked or it was terrible, and this is what you know. So that's kind of uh, how I, I first saw it. Uh, I, I can't remember Brian when exactly. I'm sure I could, I uh, maybe I could find an old the original email from 15 years ago where you said that we are looking to incorporate this and make it its own ministry and would you come along and you know serve on the board and we met over, if I remember, right there in the basement at, at Auburndale with 10, 15 guys, uh, 10 guys maybe. I'm trying to remember everybody that was there. I can, I can remember a good number of yeah. them. Uh, all your elders and uh, a few other pastors had come in, and, and we just kind of hashed around how we're going to do this.
1: So there's some events that led to that. and they, I mean, a God just in his providence clearly used, and as I look back, didn't know it at the time. About four or five years into this, it's a blog. I'd written a couple more small books. That, because of the success of the first book, it opened opportunities to do more, which I almost actually I didn't do because I just knew my limitations as a writer. And got but I'll share this because I think it's important for other writers. I, I was going to say no, and I, I sought counsel from two men. Tim Tallies is one of them, and I said, "Look, man, I I am not a gifted writer. That's not. I'm a pastor." Like I'm an extrovert. I want to be a people. I don't mm-hmm. want to sit in a dark room and write. And I'm not good at it. And, and uh, I told Tim, I, I don't think I'm supposed to do this. And Tim gave me some of the most profound advice I still share with many people today. He said, he said, Brian, there's tons of people who know how to write well who have nothing to say. And he said, the key to writing and contributing is that you have something to say. If you have something to say, there's plenty of people to help you say it. But the key in having an impact as a writer is having something to say. That changed everything mm. for me, and God used that. I mean, in a in a very clear and powerful way that changed my mind and made me willing to maybe step into doing. So that's when the funeral book came out. That's and then the the prepare them to shepherd the book about how to how do you raise up uh, pastors and missionaries for the ministry in a church that has no money and no budget and, mm. and no no you know no resources. So those are the those are the first three books, and those became uh, the the next few years of of writing. Then the blog just kept growing, and those kind of things. Uh, Zondervan came to me to write for them through their following the blog a few years. So it just mm-hmm. all kind of just snowballed in that way. Four or five years into this, and I'm just doing I'm a, I'm a local church pastor. I'm, I'm, we turned the the corner at the church, and the church started doing better out of all those hard years. But what started to happen four or five years in. Uh, two things happened. One is the church hit a place financially we start we sent a bunch of people out in ministry all at once and it financially crippled us mm. to where the church was gonna have to cut my salary. And so I was basically looking to go and buy vocational and I was looking for jobs. I was gonna go get, you know, I know you did some jobs, you know, the d- different odd jobs just make do at different times. I was just looking for a job like that. And I had two guys who had supported my ministry with this who were entrepreneurs. And just think, think in these ways. And they came to me and said, We're, we appreciate the fact you're willing to go work at Starbucks to make ends meet for your family and not leave this church and stay and continue in your ministries. But we don't think that's what you need to do. We think you need to go away and seek the Lord and pray about getting, asking God for what this really could be. Uh, what a bigger vision would be for this—that mm. God wants to do with this—but you haven't been willing to entertain or pray about. Mm. And I was challenged by that, so I did. I went away for a couple of days and I prayed and sought the Lord, and and God really gave me, really met me in that, gave me a big vision of what what this could be, and I think more, even more so the impact this could have if we're able to allow it to grow in in those ways. And so I came back and went to these guys and said, "Yep." I think I, I think this is what we're supposed to do you know, but I know nothing. I know nothing about fundraising. I know nothing about nonprofits and how to run them other than a local church you know just a local church and things. And these guys helped me raise some initial seed money. They helped me figure out how to incorporate, you get, bring a lawyer in for this, bring an accountant in for this and figure out how you're gonna establish a nonprofit. And so um, both two things happen at the same time. and so my part-time job, Became practical shepherding mm. about six, five six years into the ministry uh, and what we were doing, and that's when we're doing what you were talking about. We then incorporated a board, which you became the president of. You still serve as the president of that board ten plus years later. All my all my elders be- became a part of that board to have elder oversight. It's the way to do that. And we brought about five or six other guys, mm. uh, some of these entrepreneurs that helped us start the ministry. Mm. Um, my brother, who's a lawyer in town, he's, he came, he was an original member of the the board to be a lawyer and to help us try to think mm-hmm. through legal aspects. And when that happened, that was about 10 years ago, and uh, that when I was able to give kind of half my job, and this is my occupation to this work, mm-hmm. God really started to to bless it. And then it was three years ago where I actually transitioned um, from pastoring to go full-time with practice shepherding that was the first time that I was able to put both hands to my plow to this work. And what we have seen, you know, the growth we've seen in the last even three years since I went full time is this kind of, I think, caught us all off guard. And uh, we're kind of riding the wave at this point.
0: So before we get into some of the things the Lord's even opened up in the last year or so, so describe what that looks like for you as a, a typical week or month. Uh, you're out of pastoral ministry now, Uh you are drawing on some 25 years at three three different churches, I think, right, Brian? And saying that, that. Uh, but you're out of it now. You don't have the regular rhythms that you used to have. What, what, what's it look like being, I know some of it, well, just, I won't ask you this question. I'll just ask you that. Uh, so what, is, what does it look like for you? How do you fill a, a typical week, month of labor? Uh, and and how, what was it like to transition from the one to the other?
1: Yeah, so uh, it was... Um... Uh, every every week is different for me now and so i don't really i think the the most consistent thing in my life right now is tuesdays is kind of staff meeting days and cohort call days so we have we have several cohorts that we have now what's uh, the cohort yeah it's the the we did a partnership with the north american mission board it's called the replant cohort and actually we're we're in the middle of registration for that to, to it's a free cohort for a whole year that I lead starts in January. So if you want to go to the website, look at for the re, look for the cohort and the resources and you can apply. And you got to get accepted, but it's free and you can be a part of our course. So we have several of those going now. So Tuesday's pretty locked in in that way. Other than that, between traveling and speaking or traveling and meeting with folks or whatever it is to meetings with pastors to um, you know just running the base organization. So in less than 5 years we went from an we went from two part time people uh, to now we have eight full and part time staff, and Lord willing, in January we will move to twelve full time and part time staff. So, when I say growth, I mean the level of growth we've experienced. So, I share that because what my what a given week looks like for me is pretty radically changing at this point. So, but the consistence in my life are working with our staff uh, to help run our ministry. The cohort calls are pretty locked in, and then I'm traveling at least probably one w- long weekend a month to go travel and speak. So, um, but those who follow my, my travel know I, I do a good bit of traveling now, and that's part of the the ministry at this point. But other than that, every every week is different. It's it may be meeting with donors one week, it may be it's always meeting with pastors. Multiple phone calls usually in a given day, thirty minute slots with a pastor who just want to touch base about something. And so I try to make myself available for pastors in those ways and then helping the staff, you know, know, try to to delegate responsibilities.
0: So explain some of the ways in which some of this is, I mean, that's, you know, when we first were talking about this and envisioning what this would look like, obviously our heart remains unchanged in that. You just want to do practical good to as many pastors as possible and uh coming alongside guys helping them as we say in the trenches of ministry and that that even that terminology of trench uh speaks of warfare and hardship and difficulty and just wanting to be there be available you know give counsel give resources uh through that so when somebody says wow you've got you've got 12 guys or 12 people men and women uh, on staff what is what does that look like and how is that being diversified and what are these different people doing Mm.
1: I think well the core of our ministry is soul ministry family. That's that's always been the core of what we do, and even in the early years before those books were written, but that that really has been the core all along. It's how do you care for your own soul? How do you teach somebody how to do practical ministry to where you shepherd people, and then how do you care for and prioritize your family? That still is the core, and I think uh, one of the things I'm most uh, just proud of, encouraged by as this ministry's grown. Is we have stayed true to our roots. That's really who we are. So mm. as the ministry's grown, so Jim, whether it's the podcast or it's books or articles or it's videos, it's or it's the Shepherd's House or it's you know cohorts or it all revolves around Soul Ministry Family. Like everything mm. we do can point to one, two, or all three of those particular right. areas. So what's happened, I'd say, in the last, especially five years the different kinds of ways we try to serve soul ministry family for pastor and pastor's wife um, has just expanded. So, you know, two years ago, we, we created the Shepherd's House ministry. And that's only been going for two years. But now we're multiplying to multiple locations next year uh, for the Shepherd's House. You know, more books are being written. I'm bringing, I'm not writing as much now to where I'm just bringing guys in to write for us mm-hmm. and create resources and finding guys who have stuff to say as i was taught but trying to give them a platform and equipping them to be able to uh, to be able to write and and publish books and then for us to be able to create resources to help pastors but i i think that's the thing this has been important for us as a team and you've been a part of all these conversations jim whatever we do however we expand however we grow we still we have to serve pastors pastors wives with soul ministry family as that in view you have to thrive i believe in all three of those areas to truly thrive in the ministry. And it's this is what's been interesting and most encouraging. I've I have actually had meetings this last year with two ministries that care for pastors much bigger and larger than ours with mm-hmm. so many more resources. Right. Who came to us and basically asked permission. We're shaping our vision. Can basically can we borrow soul ministry family in our own mm-hmm. language? Mm-hmm. Because this is that it that just rings true. That's what's going on. Those are the mm-hmm. areas we got to focus on. So it's, what's interesting to me is, and I'm most encouraged by, is how God's used that. Like, he shaped that in those early years that really nobody was doing that kind of thing. And, and it's ringing true that that's still the core, I think, just from the New Testament on how mm-hmm. pastors are supposed to be cared
0: for. What are some of the kind of uh, advances as you look back? Uh, you mentioned the the shepherd's house, things that kind of got added in to what originally we're doing, really trying to free you up to be able to have more time, to be able to take calls, right, Uh, meet with pastors and and do some of that practical hands-on. You mentioned something about pastors' wives. Uh, Maybe what are some other things that Kind of, you were like, wow, this got added and that got added. And I don't think any of this was part of a grand 10-year vision that in year five we want to see practical shepherding women or counseling to pastors' wives. Year 10 we want to have a a house available on acreage and then take in church in hard places and something like that. But some of the stuff has happened, uh, you know, and this is, you know, to feel like it's not too unwieldy that it's not taking you away from our core concerns, uh how did you feel about taking those things on? How did you evaluate it uh, and realize yeah no, this is part of our ministry and part of our calling
1: yeah, It's a great question, especially since like you mentioned it we one of the things we did this year that we're going that especially taking on next year is we're we're grafting church and our places into our ministry as part, under our umbrella. We started a women's ministry about four or five years ago, hired a few women to serve pastor's wives and other women in ministry, knowing that was just as big a need as the men. And we were addressing a lot of the men, but we weren't addressing the women uh, and caring for them in their roles. And so, uh, but I think what's important is to, is to stay true to the roots of our mission and vision is really important. I feel like now more than ever, because it's one thing is if I'm writing another book to make sure it falls in that category. Okay. It fall it fits there. Right with the expansion of all these from all right that was you were part of those conversations we spent months praying and talking and wrestling through okay it's let's just take the funding side out how we're going to fund this is church in our places fit in our mission of Mm -hmm. who we are and we spent a good bit of time really wrestling through that before we said yes to that and you know i think the same goes with the shepherd's house how does the shepherd's house fit into to all this we don't want to get into the real estate business how do we how do we do this and so I think uh, the cohorts, how, how does how does an online cohort fit into this overall vision? And so I would I would answer your question by, I think that's it, knowing what your core you know, principles are and making sure you stay true to them. And then sort of ask the question, If is this something we want to take on or do if it doesn't fit into that model? Even though it may be a good thing to do, we just have to say no to it at this point. And so I, I think the clarity around that for me as the founder of this has... Really helped clarify for me what to say yes to, you know, what to say no to, uh, and, uh, and how to make decisions around that. So,
0: as you, as you look at it now, I, and I guess we need to be wrapping up here. What are the things you, as you, it's 15 years. So, tomorrow night, we're going to have a little open house That's here right. at our, our little office, uh, that we have and have some people come by. What are you, particularly as you reflect on that you think kind of like, um, Lord, who am I, and what is my house that you brought me this far? You know that, yeah. that this is very far from what when you started at Auburndale, where you thought you'd be in 2023. Um, what what springs to your mind? I,
1: I feel um, I, I feel the weight of stewardship now in a way that I couldn't imagine. In other words, I I think a lot of founders of either ministries, organizations. They they maybe feel a possession of this is this is mine and it's hard to let go of things and I want to control everything and I I I just I don't feel that way I, because this has become so much more than I ever thought it would be I'm the first to know I didn't do this and you're you're the second to know I didn't do this but and it's like I so I I don't feel like the Lord owes me I mean I have just felt an immense privilege. Just to be a part of this, and so now as the one who still leads this, I feel a stewardship to to just steward it well and use it well. That that really rushes to my mind. I feel when I sit and think about it, I feel very overwhelmed by um, just the Lord allowing me to just watch this and be a part of it. So I'm under no illusions that somehow I did the right thing or fixed created this and did this. I mean, you know, the, the, certainly the Lord used my passion in this and certain gifts he's given me and things, but I am under no illusions I created this. And and so I, I feel like I'm at a really good place to hold on to it loosely. Quite frankly, Jim, the part of the expansion, I was telling a friend this yesterday who was asking me about it, the ministry expanding in this way, part of what excites me about the growth and the expansion is I feel like we're moving to a place where this thing can actually exist when I'm gone. And that's really the longing I have for this, is that this grows to a place that's far beyond me, my gifts, my abilities, and my need to be a part of it even. Mm. And I think the hiring of capable and gifted staff, handing responsibilities, letting me still do my thing and what I do. But so I would, that's the word that comes to mind when I'm overwhelmingly grateful to God that I get to be a part of this in any way. And I feel an immense stewardship. I think we have an opportunity in the next, you know, I'm pushing 50 next year. And so, Lord willing, if the Lord gives 10 years, you know, 15 years of health, and we can we can have a huge impact. And I, I want to do that. And I feel the stewardship of trying to to lead this well so we can. I, I have a final question for you, Jim, before we uh, wrap. Okay. So any reflections from you as, I mean, really, nobody has sat in the number two spot at my right hand in this ministry more than you and anybody else. Like you you're, you've just been this one of the reasons you're the president have been from day 1, but you have been in the spot, not just you you've written a book book with me. We do this podcast obviously together. You've been the president of this organization from the time we we officially, you know, created it. A well, cu- couple of reflections from you as you watched all this happen.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have I guess personal and then you know more with the ministry itself i mean certainly for me personally you know when we started off together and started just a friendship uh it was more hey i'm gonna see if i can be a a help and a blessing to to this young guy uh to the point of of you know much more of of friends and peers and even though there's the age gap between us and Uh, And whatnot, and I feel very honored and privileged to be able to be a part of this. Uh, It certainly is open uh, vistas uh, to me that were would not have been otherwise. Uh, My little uh, group that I'm a part of, uh, you know, can be relatively isolated uh, and, and doesn't always play well with others. Don't always play well with each, each, uh, each other. Uh, and so, you know, to realize that so much more of the friendships and the, you know, the pastor's fraternal that is run out of our church, yeah, well, but that, you know, would not have happened without apart from our relationship and and our friendship. And to see regularly 30, 40, 50, 60 guys gather yeah, together from the area yesterday and meet together and eat together and give books out and have a, a, a ministry and pray together that's the kind of thing I'd always wanted to see happen, but, you know, was didn't happen apart from uh, the kinds of relationships that, that I've been able to have. And and then you know, just being privileged to watch you grow and, uh, be, you know, having—we're we're kindred spirits. and don't agree on everything, even some of the stuff we've talked about. We say, well, we made this decision. Some of that was us. No, we didn't really argue, but oh, you could say we argued or, you know, went back and yeah, forth anyway. We had, right. yeah, we had different way. views and you listened and, and, you know, you welcomed you know, my input in that. And, uh, uh, you know, those things are, are, are very, very uh, encouraging and very dear to me. Uh, I'm thankful for the uh, stewardship of being able to meet guys at the, uh, at the shepherd's house or being able to, uh, take some of the emails and make phone calls and just, you know, interact with guys or guys that I have friendships with and that I've interacted with over the years that began uh, through this ministry. I try to check in on regularly or they uh, send a, an email or mm-hmm. uh, a message and, and, and we, we you know, catch up. So I'm just thankful very much for uh, that part of the ministry in my, in my own life.
1: Yeah, that's great. And Jim, I, Jim and I recently just talked about this. I mean, just the, the, immense blessing of his friendship and his investment in this work. Like I've, I've been reflecting in recent days on that I'm not here without certain people mm-hmm. in my life, just as friendship and care for me. And he's, and he's certainly one of those. So, uh, before, um, I'm going to ask Jim to pray, but the last thing I just want to say is I just want to say thank you to, to those who have supported this ministry all these years. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast and we hear from you guys a lot and, just means a lot to us to know I and mean, what we're what we're doing is hopefully being helpful to some and and so we're always encouraged when we, we hear from you guys. But a lot of you listen to this have just I mean, you remember reading the blog. I, I get notes from guys like I meet guys at conferences and things like I read the blog like that's so all you gotta say yeah. is I read the blog ten years ago. It's like, man, I know I know yeah. who you are. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. so I, I just I wanna say thank you. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty overwhelmed as I reflect back on all God's yeah. done but excited about the future. And you, so I want to ask you all to pray for us as we try to steward the way that God's providing resources, providing more opportunities for us, that we just steward them well. We want to honor him and, and be a help. So Jim, will you take a minute and just yeah. pray for the next 15 years if God mm. gives it to us? Yeah. Thanks.
0: Father, we do offer you thanks. You're the giver of every good and every perfect gift. And Lord, we believe that you're the... God of Providence, and that you have written the days of our lives in your book before there was one, and you had this plan for Brian uh, long before Brian recognized and realized what you had for him. Lord, we do desire that you would watch over him, help him keep his own soul, uh, Lord, to watch over his heart uh, and to be able to uh, to grow in grace and wisdom and knowledge, uh, help him, Father, to accumulate deeper insight into your word and greater aspects of your truth, that we might be able to share those things with others. Lord, you've entrusted certain stewardship, and we do pray, Lord, for faithfulness in that stewardship and anticipate, Heavenly Father, what you will do by your grace and for your glory in the years ahead. We entrust it all to you in your son's name. Amen. Amen.